Welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento. And this is part two of my conversation with the executive chef of Canon in East Sac, Brad Checky. Now, if this just popped into your feed or someone sent it to you, take the time, go back to last week's episode and listen to the first half of our conversation, where we talk about Chef Checky's early career all the way up until he worked for a Michelin-starred restaurant called Soul Bar in the Napa Valley. Now, really quick, if you're a loyal listener to this show, I apologize for not having this episode out on Tuesday. So here's the deal. All three of my kids were sick and had to stay home from school. Now, they're all fine. We took a bunch of COVID tests. Everybody's good. But in this age of COVID and parenting, everything's more complicated. So if your kids are kind of sick and coughing and you know it's just a cold, you do the test. Even so, it's best to keep them home. So they stayed home and I spent most of the day watching them instead of editing this podcast. Then as I was getting ready to finish it on Wednesday, after I recorded this voiceover, I dropped my laptop and broke the connector to the external hard drive that I use, which has all these other bits and pieces of the podcast that I need. So I had to rebuild the entire thing. Anyway, that's the reason it's out on Thursday. Those are my excuses. The podcast will come out from now on, on Tuesdays. Next week, there'll be a new episode Tuesday morning. But that's what happened, in case you were wondering. Anyhow, moving on. We left off with Chef Checky, right as he was about to get a call from his soon-to-be business partner, Clay Nutting. And we jumped right in when he got that call and made the decision to move back to Sacramento to start a whole new chapter. All right, so you're you're at Soul Bar, and then had you been thinking about moving on? Had you been thinking about coming back home, or was this just another thing where an opportunity presented itself in Sacramento, and you thought, oh, that could be fun? Yeah, I think after... Um... After I didn't get the job at The Citizen, I knew that I had to leave the market to grow to a place. So from then it was like, I'm always coming back to Sacramento. Like it was never like I'm leaving and never coming back. So it was for me, it was like, how do I ascend to a position where I can do what I want to do in my hometown? Yeah, you can have one of those chef-owned restaurants you right. were talking about. Or, or even like one of the hotels or mm. whatever, right? Like whatever opportunities come my way. And so that was the plan. And, and my wife and I were just boyfriend, girlfriend when we moved to Cleveland. Uh, and so we had moved back to Napa. We'd gotten married. We were headed towards the family. And like, you know, our daughter's four and a half now. Mm-hmm. But like, we had to figure that out uh, as well. And yeah. we knew we didn't, you know, Napa was too expensive. And I was working a ton. And up in Calistoga, we were living in downtown Napa. So I didn't know what the what the move was going to be. I had at one point came to town and walked around town with the developers of the Sawyer. Okay. Long, long yeah. before they even broke ground on the hotel. So things like that happened. And so Clay called and he was like, hey. And looking back on it, like I probably should have been more prepared. Uh, <laughs> but... As I was interviewing for the job in Cleveland, I was also talking to Clay and his then business partner from Lowbrow about being the chef of of Lowbrow and Block Butcher Bar mm-hmm. and decided to take the job in Cleveland instead. So that's how Clay and I met was through the interview process for, for Block and Lowbrow. Okay. And so he had kind of always kept in touch a little bit, just like, you know, commenting on some Facebook notifications or Instagram or whatever, and then 
he reached out and he said, "Hey, I have I'm, I have a new opportunity of starting by myself, starting to start a new a new restaurant concept. Would you consider meeting about being the chef and potentially a partner?" And I said, "Sure, like uh, take any meeting." Yeah. So he drove up to Napa and we had lunch, and he kind of laid it out. He's like, "I have the opportunity of the space. It's kind of a B location." old warehouse district in East Sac. And I said, okay, well, let me take a look at it. And he wanted to do kind of like a small plates, share bowl, very like taverny kind of feeling place. And I was like, I, I have a couple ideas. And so I kind of laid out what I thought a menu could look like. And so we, we moved forward. And it was about a year of like raising money mm-hmm. and figuring out the business plan and, and all of this stuff. And so finally, I think about February, January, February 2017, we had kind of achieved the goals, fundraising and stuff. And so I quit my job and we moved, uh, my my wife and I, my pregnant wife, and I (laughs) moved in with my sister and put some pop-ups together and got the place built and opened. And it was on like, on a razor's edge, you know, like we didn't really have it quite together left my great paying job and my wife's great paying job in napa and and took the chance clay and i have me ended up become 50 50 partners in everything we do and so but it wasn't like that always you know and like he had had success at lowbrow um, right but i had no ownership experience whatsoever and so and when you're in hotels like you're insulated from all that stuff you're looking at margins you're looking at percentages you're looking at you know, but you're never looking at cash flow, like how much money is mm. in your bank account. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a struggle. You know, we were very busy. Uh, we opened up to a lot of, you know, great reviews and, and great press. And but it was like, I had no idea. <laughs> so uh, it was a hard couple of years there. But, you know, like, we're better for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Yeah. It was nuts. So food-wise, tell people a little bit about the concept of Can and, and how maybe it's evolved a little bit over the years. You yeah, said so you're just about to hit five-year five anniversary. Five-year anniversary, yeah. So Canon opened. We opened as like we were going to do these shareable small plates. And we had a great idea of what that would look like and how people would eat it. So my always thought with, like with Sacramento was that we have great restaurants here. We have great agriculture here. Mm-hmm. But I felt like a lot of our restaurants lived in this Franco-Mediterranean-American world. And that's great. But I, was, I, I wasn't going to open another restaurant like that in Sacramento. Yeah. And so what my idea was, was to use the bounty of ingredients that we have here in Sacramento. But like couple that with, I mean, intentionally, the canon of international ingredients. Okay. Right. So like taking inspiration from the Middle East and Southeast Asia and China and Russia and Australia and South America and Latin countries and like all that stuff. Right. Take take the ingredients that they've developed over thousands of years and apply them to what bounty we have here and apply it in a way of that was contemporary in the eating style that people were doing. So. Canon evolved into kind of this like family style restaurant, right? Our plates aren't small anymore. And we've really leaned into like vegetables as center of the plate. Yeah. And um, really creating dishes 
around seasonality, but not necessarily only focusing on everything coming from within 100 miles of us, right? Okay. Like focusing on the important, the raw ingredients coming from within 100 miles of us, but using olive oils from France or Italy or Spain if we needed to, um, if it fit the dish, if it made the dish better. Taking methods of cooking from the garums of ancient Rome and fish sauce from Southeast Asia and like making our own koji from rice farmed right here in mm-hmm. the Delta or, or Butte County and then making like interesting fish sauces. Yeah. Or misos or fermenting or pickling or, you know, but using local ingredients, but like really developing like technique and ingredients from other places and seeing how that affects our local bounty. Yeah. So that's what Canon's all about. You know, we love the idea of making everything from scratch. We love the idea of being able to control and manipulate ingredients to our way of doing things. And it opens up a lot of doors for us. And I know a lot of people do that stuff now. So it's not like it's not a unique process. I think we've just been at it a little longer than most. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started doing it five years ago, where I think it was like the last two or three years during the pandemic, people really had a chance to learn these techniques. Yeah. We've been doing them. And so when the pandemic hit, (laughs) we had a fridge full of (laughs) stuff that we were able to preserve into some really cool stuff that we're just starting to see the fruits of now. That's cool. Which is awesome. Yeah, fermentation and bread starter, like two of the pandemic food cliches yeah, totally. for sure, right? Totally. <laughs> um, so I want to talk for a minute about vegetables because you mentioned how vegetable focused Canon is, and Sacramento has so much good produce. And we're probably about the same age, or I know we're about the same age. So I certainly grew up like in the 80s. I consider my parents pretty good cooks, but when it came to vegetables, it was like, steamer basket right and that's it yeah i never had a grilled vegetable i never had a roasted vegetable my entire life i mean i my wife and i you know when we got together and started cooking we would roast vegetables i remember i cooked for my mom and roasted some just like broccoli i mean just simple right just roasted with some olive oil and salt and pepper in the oven and she was like this is amazing and i was like yeah broccoli and cauliflower (laughs) are a lot better when you cook them not just in a steamer basket yeah so uh yeah tell me about learning really how to cook vegetables and how to be able to, you know, create almost, you know, plant-based is kind of a buzzword, but like really plant-based dishes as well that are focused on just cooking vegetables well rather than other tricks or things like that. I really like what I like about cooking is thinking of it as you would any other thing, right? As, As a science, as a constructible object, using that knowledge of cellular structure, mass, heat versus mass, when to cook things fast, when to cook things slow, when to cook things hard, when to cook them easy, when to burn them, when not to burn them, how to develop flavor on that, whether it's using sugar to create a Maillard, you know, like all of that science Mm -hmm. is what I really enjoy about cooking. And so applying that to vegetables, because we apply it to meat because we care. Yeah. Right, we apply it to fish because we care. We're like, okay, cool, we gotta sear this steak. We're gonna put grill marks on it and we're gonna cook it medium rare. And the crust on the outside is gonna be developed from coarse ground pepper and flaky salt. And when we cook it in a cast iron pan, it's gonna develop a thick crust. Well, why can't we do that with a mushroom mm. or with a with cauliflower? 
apply those center of the plate focused cooking things instead of because even in restaurants and kitchens where we might have been roasting vegetables, we were still marinating the steaks and right. the chickens and we were still smoking them and we we're still cooking them uh, on the grill or searing them and basting them in butter when the fish came out of the oven. We were doing all that stuff because we cared. And then we would saute the Brussels sprouts with a little bit of bacon and put it on a plate. Yeah. That's great. It's delicious. People still do it. It's awesome. But for me, I wanted to do something different. And so we do a whole roasted cauliflower at Cannon right now. And it's got to be cooked without the fan for a little while so that it doesn't burn on the outside. And then it's got to get cooked hotter with the fan on so that it creates a crust on the outside. We marinate it. We season it up a couple of days ahead of time. So we treat those things like like center of the plate items. And I'm not a vegetarian. In fact, I'm, I'm a proponent of meat, mm-hmm. right? And But like, I think that food deserves the attention no matter what avenue you're in. Sure. And so I, I find it very easy to create vegetarian and vegan items because I, I think that the best things come from tighter lines. If I have yeah. to color inside tight lines, then you're going to create a better picture. If I'm given the whole gamut, it's hard to draw, right? It's easier to color. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, so I think that like we live in this bounty in this region, especially with the way that things are going with price and cost and availability and supply chain shortages. Like we have what we have close by. And so in order to use it and to create value for people, because we'll sell like half a head of cabbage at Canon for like 15 bucks. Yeah. We all know how much cabbage costs. Even if it's expensive cabbage, it doesn't cost that. Right. But like we make miso from scratch, from rice, from Butte County, and we turn it into a shio, and we marinate the cabbage in it for two days, and then we sear the cabbage and roast the cabbage, and then we serve it with like a mushroom amino paste. And so we create these flavors around it. And to make it all vegan. And so, but it tastes like barbecue. Yeah. And so that's where the value is too, right? It's like we are creating the value and adding it to that that quarter head or half a head of cabbage. And that's just the way our business is built. And that's what Canon does. Yeah. And I have another restaurant that doesn't do that, right? That we just blanch asparagus and put sauce scrabiche over the top and, and breadcrumbs. And that's what that is. So it's not good or bad or one way or the other. I'm not saying that it is. It's, I'm just saying that like Canon chooses to treat vegetables very intentionally and mm. with a lot of – and fruits too, you know, applying different techniques to fruits in order to allow us to manipulate them. Yeah, cool. So let's talk a little bit about the pandemic because you guys were just three years old when the pandemic hit. So – <laughs> where you know who even knows where we are in it at this point seriously but, but uh yeah how did you guys survive and and then well just we'll just start there how did what did you guys do to pivot to try to even keep the doors open or keep food going out the doors when you were closed yeah so we i'll just start from the beginning so we had our last brunch service was sunday march 12th i think we had had word that we were going to get shut down and that, that people were going to be ordered to shelter in place and, and what the rules around that were going to be. So Monday night, the 13th, I think, we met at Cannon 
And it was like some people from the Sac City Unified School District, people from UC Davis Med Center, myself, Deneb Williams from Alora, Patrick Mulvaney, my business partner Clay, Santana Diaz. And we were like, what, what are we going to do here? <laughs> like, yeah. We don't have an option. Like, we can't just close the doors and not know what the future holds and lose our businesses. And so we asked the hospital system and we asked the school system, what do you guys need? Because you can't staff your large commissary kitchens with a whole bunch of people. So they were like, well, we could use some meals. And, you know, the schools are closing. So, like, these kids that are low-income families, they're going to need food. And they, they eat at least one, if not two of those meals at school every day. Elderly people can't leave their houses, so where are they going to eat? And so we ended up coming up with the framework of, of what became Family Meal Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And so the days after that kind of involved whiteboard markers on glass windows that felt very much like a startup-type <laughs> feel of us saying, okay, cool, like what are, our, what are our control points here? We knew how to cook food. We had the staff. What we didn't have was we didn't have any money and we didn't have a way to get the food from our restaurants to the people. And we also didn't have a way to ensure that when we got to where we were going, that there would be people there waiting to receive the food. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds, like you just didn't know. People didn't know where to go to get food. Right. And so those are the things we had to figure out. And so Mulvaney's and Cannon, we pro bono tested this program. We took our meals to Swanson Community Center, part of the Mission Oaks Recreation Park District. They just spread the word through the community that we were going to drop food off on these days. And then Mulvaney's took meals to one of the churches downtown and then the Roberts Family Foundation also. And we just did it. We were cleaning out our walk-ins and we just took food to people. And then, but along the way, we budgeted it. We costed it. We did all the work on like the administrative side. We had a film crew follow us and mm. and film it. And then we started raising, looking for private money, you know, in ways that was like, cool, you buy your to-go burger at Canon and, you know, add $2 to support Family Meal or buy a burger at Canon and buy one for somebody else. You know, those kinds of programs came up early on in the pandemic. And it got us a couple thousand dollars down the road and it allowed us to keep going then we had a proof of concept and so we were able to take that to the city of sacramento who had i want to say like a thousand elderly residents in Mm -hmm. shra community housing like the housing projects okay that were being told do not leave your house you cannot go out and get groceries you can't go out and get dinner you can't like you need to stay inside You're you're very at risk and we don't want anybody dying And so the city came to us and said, can you help us facilitate this program? So we brought on five restaurants total, Cannon, Mulvaney's, Alora, Camden Smith Larder, and Bencho Yaki. And we started Family Meal Sacramento. And so we had, uh, like we each did like 200 meals uh, twice a week. And they got distributed through the communities. We would drop them off at the individual project housing places and they would get distributed. That program evolved into what became Great Plates California. The Great Plates fed, I don't know, like 20 million people yeah. over the course of the pandemic, over the course of a year, um, and saved countless restaurants. I think in Sacramento alone, we had 
upwards of like 30 restaurants participating in Great Plates. Uh, we still to this day have about 25 restaurants participating in Family Meal Sacramento still. Program's still up and running. We feed school kids. We feed quarantined individuals. We feel we feed elderly still. We feed just low-income families who need the assistance. And, and we just really identified in that moment that food insecurity was a real issue. And what Family Meal did is it mobilized independent restaurants as small commissaries at a time when people could not gather together. Mm-hmm. We knew we had people who could create. We knew we had people that could cook. And so we just put them to work. Yeah. And we kept them working throughout the, you know, like Canon did not lose a single employee during the pandemic. Wow. That's awesome. So, so that was our move and, and it worked. (laughs) So as Chef Chucky said, that's how Canon and many other restaurants in Sacramento managed to survive by actually using their skills and talents to help those in need. During the early parts of the pandemic, Chef Checky said it was wild. They were donated hundreds of pounds of lamb vindaloo. At one point, Chef Juan Barajas in Woodland was going out to the asparagus fields because there was no workers to go out and harvest the asparagus. And he just started clipping it and dropping it off at restaurants around Sacramento because otherwise it was going to go bad and couldn't be used. And they took all this raw product and made meals to give to people for free while the grant money and private donations raised helped them pay their staff and keep their restaurants running. Chef Checky said not only was it a great way to put a small dent in the problem of food insecurity during the pandemic and even continuing now, but it was also an opportunity to introduce people to the restaurant scene as it had blossomed over the last 15 years or so. And so we jump back into the conversation to talk about the future of Sacramento and the restaurant industry and what his hopes are moving forward. Because he had seen the Sacramento restaurant scene grow and now take a major hit from the pandemic. So he talked about what he thinks may happen moving forward as people continue to go back out to eat in an increasingly complicated world of trying to find staff, increased prices of goods, and other instabilities in a global economy. I think my hope is that people continue to want to work in restaurants. Mm. I have no doubt that people want to eat at them. The foodie culture, I don't think, is going anywhere. Yeah. Um, But we have to be able to staff them. And frankly, what we're seeing a lot in, in, in pretty much any industry is that people found a way to not quite work so hard during the pandemic. And so restaurant work is hard. Yeah. And I think it's forced the restaurant industry's hand in a very healthy direction of making sure that restaurant workers live on livable wages, that they're contributing members of the economy, that they're not abused, so to speak. You know, long hours, hot environments, cut yourself, get back to work, don't call in sick, come to work, throw up in a trash can, like all that stuff. Um, Everybody always got paid, right? Like we didn't like beat anybody, but like somebody would call in sick and be like, how sick are you? Yeah. Like, you know. I need you to come to work. <laughs> but those moments are gone. And that's okay. So yeah, the beauty of it is that we have to tip them out and we have to pay them better and we have to provide benefits and retirement and all these things. But all that costs money, you mm-hmm. know. And so what we have to understand is that 
the restaurant community will come back and people will want to contribute to that and we'll give everybody back their neighborhood restaurant and eatery. But it's going to cost a little more. Yeah. You know, and that's unfortunate, but and that's what I hope for is that people love this so much that we'll figure it out. And whether it is, like you said, like I said earlier, creating value out of cheaper ingredients, maybe this is what we needed to quit eating filet mignon. Right. You know, and, like <laughs> that's okay. And I think that's the direction that I'd like to see it head. You know, I love the idea of Prop 12 in California, like giving pigs the, the room to roam, but we have to do it the right way. Yeah. And so in order to do that, there has to be public-private partnerships and all of that. Whether we create the law or not, we still have to be able to like support the pork farmers and we have to be able to afford the pork. And so however that looks, I think will change the face of the restaurant community, mm. right? How we, what we serve will matter. Or are you going to pay $75 for eight ounce filet mignon? Right. Or you can get, you know, a hoof <laughs> braised, you know, like, <laughs> but it can still be delicious, right? Like uh, a beef shank can be delicious. And so we just have to adjust our, our palates a little bit and trust that chefs are going to push us in the right direction. So I don't know. Those are my dreams. Yeah. We still have very inspired people that work for us at Canon. And I th- I'm thankful for them every day. Frank Hett's the same way, you know? So, like, restaurants aren't going to go anywhere. Sure. Like, some of them will fail and new ones will spring up and people will go eat at them. Yeah. It just, it will, it will all change. And one day we'll all be really comfortable going back out to restaurants. Right. So, I hope that's the direction we headed to. Yeah. But these are all new, these are new times. You yeah, know? it is. It's like we came out of this, I don't even know we're out of the pandemic, right? But like we came into a place where we all would go back out to eat. Gannon's been very busy the last year and that was great. And then now Russia and Ukraine are at war. Yeah. And the country that grows 30% of the world's wheat did not plant wheat this year because they're being invaded by a foreign power. And so the price of wheat is going to go up <laughs> for everybody. Right. You know, gas prices, well, like all those things are impacting everybody's bottom line. The everyday consumer has less money. The everyday business person has to kick that down the road. Yeah. And so it'll all level out. I'm sure it always does. Uh, we just have to be understanding yeah. of what everybody's going through. So tell me a little bit about Franquette, both in the fare that you guys serve, but also the decision to, you know, open a spot in West Sacramento. But tell me a little bit about the decision to open Franquette. So it was Clay and I, I mean, we built our business at Cannon to grow. Cannon was never supposed to be the only restaurant that we ever owned. Yeah. And so while I was doing a little bit of contract work for Fulcrum, the developers in West Sac, uh, pre-pandemic. Okay. And they had this, it's called The Block, is the apartment building that Frank Head is in. And they had a little space there. and uh, We were talking to them about interviewing, helping them interview temple and chameleon coffee shops to do because that neighborhood needed just neighborhood coffee yeah right something for the residents to get a cup of coffee on their way to work so i was kind of reviewing contracts with them and talking to them about it and i was like i have an idea it could have a little higher revenue than a normal coffee shop just because of the hours of operation and i said well what about a european style cafe because in europe right there's one of these cafes kind of every couple of blocks 
where you get your breakfast there in the morning. You maybe grab a sandwich there at lunchtime. You finish your day there with a glass of wine or some kind of like small tapas or something. And they exist all over Europe in mm-hmm. every old neighborhood. And so it felt like that's what that neighborhood needed because the bridge district is like growing out of the ground, yeah. essentially. They're high net worth individuals that live over there. Like they have disposable income. They're generally smaller families. And so the idea of having a, a cafe that wasn't just coffee, but also can transition to wine and good food and uh, I think was attractive to Fulcrum. And so we, I, I kind of pitched the idea and then it just kind of steamrolled. Like we, they were like, we love this. Let's move forward to the next thing. We're like, we don't have any money. It's the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> so they were like, well, let's be partners. I said, okay, well, that sounds great. So we were able to make that all work. And then we developed the the concept. But originally, we were going to kind of try to do something a little more Italian in Avenue because of the coffee component. French coffee has a stigma of being kind of burnt tasting and over roasted. But then there's something called the third wave of coffee that happened in Paris in like the early 2000s that created this coffee culture within France. Okay. And so we kind of leaned into that, more of a contemporary, not this checkerboard floor French cafe with like little wire chairs on a sidewalk. We leaned into a more contemporary version of what was happening in France at the time. And Elena and Jack, Elena's our executive chef over there, and, and her husband Jack is our GM at Canon. Mm-hmm. They had lived in Paris prior to working, just prior to working at Canon. And so they had a little bit of French influence to bring to the table. We knew that Elena was going to be the chef there, and we knew that Jack was going to kind of manage the beverage program alongside Cannons there. And so we kind of leaned into the French theme and were able to build this little cafe. And I found it to be very inspiring having a place like that. Yeah. And Clay and I are invested in West Sacramento. I think, you know, we have Cannon and East Sac, but like West Sac is a real chance for Sacramento to have a, a riverfront that isn't old sack, you right. know, like, cause the rest of the reference has I five in front of it. So, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a real opportunity for Sacramento to have a walkable, livable riverfront and we're believers. And so we opened a business over there and we're big proponents and, and partners with Fulcrum on whatever it is that they want to do there. So as it develops, I think it will become kind of like the Brooklyn to Sacramento's Manhattan. You okay. Know? Like, yeah. I have that feeling. Like it feels a little more hip. It feels a little more contemporary. The new construction is going to feel way newer. And we have, we're just across the river. And yeah, I mean, I, there's a bunch of stuff on the horizon over there. And I think it's going to be awesome. Cool. So, and Frank, that's cool. I, I really enjoy, like I said, I'm very inspired by what we do there. We don't have like a full kitchen, there's no hood. It's just like, an oven and a couple induction burners and we do great salads and we have an awesome cheese program small plates at dinner are really inventive and creative but still very like contemporary french uh, we're making our own pastries the croissants sell out quick every day mm-hmm. and then just like a simple lunch like nice entree salads and baguette sandwiches and yeah. soup and it's a little 1300 square feet we don't take reservations it's just walk in have a good time leave like take your coffee to go, <laughs> right? You know, whatever. Sit on a sidewalk and enjoy. Cool. So, yeah, I'd love to have a thousand of them. Yeah, I think that it's that kind of place. You know, that's great. Yeah. All right. I did want to ask you. We'll do one last question, then we'll jump into a couple of rapid fire questions. But you mentioned your daughter's four and a half. I'm a dad. I have three kids that are seven and twins that are four. So, 
you work in a very grueling industry being a business owner and a chef. How has that changed and how have you tried to sort of make it all work? Yeah, so uh, my daughter was born the day before Cannon opened. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that was rough. So the first year was uh, something that my wife and I just try not to talk about. Sure. (laughs) It's just, it's a, you know, it was a bad, it was a bad situation. But we we both understood that, like, fortunately, we own this business. Yeah, (laughs) It's not going anywhere. (laughs) She's not going anywhere. So we we are going to have to figure out how to tag team this together. And it just was a lot of sleepless nights and, you know, a lot of work and a lot of being tired and, the silver lining, and I think for a lot of people this was the case, is the silver lining of the pandemic was that she was almost three when that happened, and I had time all of a sudden to spend at home mm-hmm. and cook dinner and, like, be a dad. And so that was a very seesaw moment. It went from not being around very much to being around all the time and being a dad. And so as we came out of the pandemic – I had had a bunch of people that worked for me that, like Elena, who is the chef at Franquette, and mm-hmm. and my chef at Cannon, his name is Sean Rummery. Uh, Sean's been with us for four years, knows the inner workings. So now Sean runs the day-to-day at Cannon, and Elena runs Franquette, and uh, I get to be the chef at both places. But most more importantly, like I get to be home a yeah. little bit more. And that's not to say that it comes with less stress, it's just my work days are now eight to seven instead of ten to midnight. Right. So right. you know, it just it, it changed when I have to be at the restaurants. You know, I take Sundays off. It's just about figuring that out, and and it was something that was totally new to me because I was used to just like gotta go to work, see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> like right. A work day was a day. You're it was right. Literally twenty four <laughs> hours. Do you have to work tomorrow? Yes. Take me off your calendar. Yeah. Like, and that's the way that like it worked with my wife and I until the second we had a baby. <laughs> and now it, it's different, right? Like we what's your schedule looking? Well, I have this and this and this and this, and like have this time between here and there. And like so that's kind of how it works now. And that's why it was ever so important going back to like the the soul bar conversation, developing administrative systems that I can manage from afar. I use technology to manage the prep list to like I can look at my phone and see what's on the prep list at either restaurant Mm -hmm. at any given moment. I know what orders are coming in based on the technology systems we've developed with Google Drive. So that kind of stuff has helped me spend a little more time at home and manage these restaurants to the standards that we have to have, but spend more time with my daughter and my wife and my family. My parents are aging, you know, like all that stuff is, you know, happening. Yeah. Whether I like it or not. Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, it's a grind. And some weeks are better than others. I opened a restaurant six weeks ago. I haven't been home a lot. Sure. But there are days on the horizon that I hope that I get to take a couple days off in a row and and spend it with my kid. Yeah. So, and we, you know, I'm still home for bedtime and dinner and all that stuff. I'll be home tonight. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, just trying to find that balance. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of effort. It does. So. Yeah. All right, so on to uh, a few rapid-fire questions here that are all food-related. The first one is, what's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? What's the thing you as a chef you're almost embarrassed to say? Oh, I would never be embarrassed to love Jim Boy's (laughs) tacos at the level that I do. We have a love affair. This isn't the first time, first interview that I've said this, but, like, 
It's my death row. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Like if I had to choose one thing, one last meal to eat, it's a six pack of extra crispy ground beef Jim Boy's tacos. <laughs> no doubt. All right. What's your favorite food movie as Ooh, a chef? What's the movie that gets food it right? Movie. That's a good question. Well, I will say that the the movie Chef mm-hmm. is kind of something that inspired me to leave hotels behind. Because I don't, I'd worked in hotels for years, and I was at Soul Bar, and I was getting crushed every day with these Michelin standards and things like that. And then Clay called me, and he's like, "Hey, come work at this independent restaurant. We'll just do dinner." I'm like, "Great, that sounds yeah. awesome." And like, we can do all this funky food that we do at Canon. So. From a food movie perspective, like, I don't know that it was the food in that movie that inspired me, but, like, the thought that, like, a chef could leave this white jacket and just start wearing, like, a T-shirt and tennis shoes and cook cool food was really empowering to me. And so it was not the reason, but it was definitely, like, oh, that's a that's an option. Yeah. And so I remember that movie a lot when I think about the way that my career's taken a turn since 2017. Okay. Cool. I love that movie. What's your favorite thing to cook at home? Chefs rarely cook at home, but what, what are you going to throw together? I'm a pretty epic grilled cheese sandwich maker. Nice. Yeah. Back to the movie Chef, which is one of the famous scenes in that yes. movie. Is about yeah. the grilled cheese. Um, but like, you know, as a dad, like most of the cooking I do at home now is for my <laughs> four-year-old. Uh, right. So it's, I'm mostly on the breakfast train. I love a really well-done soft scrambled. Like if I have the time to soft scramble eggs for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that I will take the time and consider it a leisure activity. Yeah. To just put soft scrambled eggs on toast. And then we have a tostada night. Okay. You know, it's usually on Tuesdays about once a month. And it's like a clean out the fridge moment. But I yeah. like that. I don't cook like that. At, everything at Canon is so meticulously recorded to the gram so that the prep cooks can make it the right way. For me to just, like, open up the fridge and, like, cut up some things and squeeze juice and add honey and chilies and mix things together and just cook from the from the cuff is fun yeah. i don't get to do that so often anymore does your daughter like your cooking i know she's four and a half so she's kind of at no that she doesn't like she's, anything she's oh, four she's, and a half um <laughs> you ever make anything that you're like she's really gonna like this and, and she's just like, oh no yeah like i'll feel like like i'll spend the time to like butter noodles right but like <laughs> i'll spend the time to like save the pasta water and then like reduce it so that it's starchy and then mount butter into it uh-huh. and like mount the parma like basically make like a cacio pepe and then like give it to her and she's like i'll be like how is it she goes she'll give me like a thumbs up and then she won't eat it i'm like right. what the what what's going on here and then of course then you eat then i eat it yeah and that's right. why i look the way that i do <laughs> yeah my kids usually decide before they've even tasted it yeah it's just you spend two hours on something and set it down and this looks gross right like will you try it it looks gross. It's going to taste gross to, in their mind. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't look gross. Uh, anyway, and what's the dish from your childhood you wish you could go back and eat? If you could go back in time and eat something that your grandpa cooked or somebody cooked, what's the thing that um, would bring you back? I mean, I like the idea. And I was like, we always joke around about my grandfather's cooking that, like, it wasn't all that great. <laughs> but he used to make a potato and, like, bacon chowder was like one of the soups that he made and it'd always be in the fridge or something. And so we try to make it, like my parents come over for Christmas and we don't do like a big Christmas dinner. Like we'll literally make a pot of this soup mm-hmm. and like get a loaf of great bread 
or make the bread and drink a bottle, a couple bottles of wine, and that's our Christmas dinner. And so that pot of soup, like I would wish that like I could just talk about that soup with him as he's making it. Yeah. Because it's something, you know, it's just like milk and flour. Like it's not like a great soup, right? It's just like milk and flour and bacon and potatoes. Like it's (laughs) – it's, but like he would add Worcestershire sauce and Tabasco and, you know, like stuff he would put in there and – and he'd always like he he didn't have a recipe he just did it from the cup you know so like that is something that I remember mm-hmm. that every time I make that soup I know that I'm making it better than he made it like I just I have to be right like <laughs> I have all this student loan debt and I have all this time that I spend in kitchens like I have to be making this soup better than he made it but in my mind like his is the best yeah right and like I would just love to be able to like have that conversation with him over the stove as he was making it. Uh-huh. Cool. Right on. Well, Chef Checky, thank you so much for coming in and being here today. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Dine One Six. If you happen to listen to this one and you haven't heard part one, just go back in your podcast feed or go to our website and check out part one where we hear about Chef Checky's early career and learn about what it's like to go for a Michelin star. If you like this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want, take the time to give it a positive review. It'll help more people find the show. Or even better, just let some friends and family know. Tell them to listen. Hey, there's a new food podcast all about Sacramento. Check it out. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are at Dine16. And if you have ideas, or you have guests you want to hear on the show, or you want to reach out, shoot me an email at max at dine16.com. You can find more information about us or listen to the episodes right on our website, which is just dine16.com. The opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine 16 is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights. Next Tuesday, we're going to switch gears a little bit and still talk about food, but talk about something related to food that is a favorite pastime of so many of us. And that's after we cook or when we go out to eat, taking pictures of it and putting it on Instagram. My guest will be Taylor Gillespie, who's a local food photographer, and she'll talk all about how to take great pictures of food. And we'll talk about the Sacramento food scene as well. So until then, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.